you know, it's been really freeing and liberating. And it's been something that I have kind of been holding on to for about a year, a year and a half, and just wanting to really learn more, make sure that it felt right with me before I shared it with the world. And, you know, once I found that courage to be open with everyone, it's been an interesting journey. You know, it's, it feels, like I said, really liberating. And I just feel more like myself. Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome back to EW's Untold Stories Beyond the Binary. I'm your host, journalist and non-binary babbage, Travel Anderson. It's our fourth and final episode of this limited series pod, all about non-binary visibility. And as you just heard, we're going out with a bang, honey. Yes, that was a snippet from my conversation with Demi Lovato, which you'll get a chance to hear later. But first, in the past three episodes, we've done a lot, okay? Episode one, we kept it very cute, very top line about this moment of increased non-binary visibility. That episode featured a chat with actor Bex Taylor-Claus. Episode two, we took a step back. We looked at the non-binary canon and chatted at length with the lovely Jeffrey Marsh and Mickey Blanco. Episode 3, we talked our shit and complained because we can. Also, talked a little bit with model and writer Devin Norell about degendering fashion. Now, on this, our fourth and final episode, we're looking toward the future. Toward a promised land that's on the horizon where our non-binary brilliance is regarded as just that. Brilliant and excellent and divine and fabulous and so much more. Let's get into it. To get us started today, I want to share a clip from a short documentary available on YouTube called The Future of Trans that was done by journalist Amara Jones of Translash Media. In this clip, she interviews artist and writer and model and filmmaker and someone I adore, they have plenty of titles as you can tell, Fatima Jamal, about archive making and the freedom of transness. What is it that you're trying to create? An archive. An archive of what? An archive of my existence. I do believe that one day, like, my nieces and nephews, my little cousins, right, they will ask more questions about my absence, you know? Mm. They will ask more questions about the path that I took for my life. What do you want them to find? And what do you want them to learn? A life otherwise. You know, because I think we all know that life, life is possible, but a life otherwise um, is what transness um, does, though it may come with the consequence of um, isolation. It also comes with the consequence of joy, right, of, of a life not controlled by mm-hmm. others' gazes, by others' um, desires and expectations for who you should be and become. I want them to see and test the limits of your own body. The most beautiful thing about transness is choice and decision-making. A a trans perspective and a trans lens on the world could only free us all. Now, I know some non-binary people do not also identify as members of the trans community, but what I love about Fatima's reflection is that at its core, it articulates the necessity and the vital importance of trans existence and that of other gender transgressors, which in my eyes includes non-binary people too. Inspired by her words, I asked my council of non-binary badasses, that's what I've decided to call them from now on, I asked them what from their vantage point having a non-binary lens or gaze and or a trans imagination offers the world. Here's Tuck Woodstock, host of the podcast Gender Reveal, which if you love hearing non-binary and trans people in conversation with each other, you need to check it out. They just started their latest season. Their voice will be followed by Steven Universe's Rebecca Sugar. I think that once trans people learn that they get to question the gender that they were assigned or the gender roles that they were assigned or the body that they were given, they realize that everything is up for interrogation. And so you get to explore all sorts of other things that you maybe took for granted in a society and say, are these serving me? Are these serving 
members of my community? And if not, how can we reimagine those things um, to better serve people who are most vulnerable? And that can look like prison abolition, that can look like mutual aid, that can look like non-monogamy, that can look like so many different things that we're all interrogating um, and just saying, what does work for us? That can look like questioning capitalism, right? <laughs> and so healthcare systems, really basic things, housing, uh, education, employment, all these things that trans people have a hard time accessing. And so I think that having non-binary people around really helps think outside of the box so that maybe if we had more non-binary people in this conversation, they could help me think of something more interesting than outside the box is a cliche. But uh, <laughs> I just think that generally, yeah, we're like out of the box thinkers and can imagine a future um, beyond what we have right now. I think a non-binary lens offers you know, sort of clarity and truth. This is old and this is true. This is a, this is a way that people have been since people existed. And the reason that it feels like that might not be true is because of all of these different forms of erasure and, and violence against people who are not conforming to this sort of very rigid idea of male and female. I mean, we see this everywhere through time all around the world. And I think if that's not something that you can personally relate to, to not have that perspective somewhere in your life is to really miss out on a massive part of the human experience, right? And I think it, it's it's difficult as a non-binary person, as a, as a genderqueer person, to have not known about a lot of these things, to not to have not known about a lot of these figures throughout history, also who have who have created these gigantic you know pillars of our culture. So so much of our current culture, our popular culture, has been informed by gender expansive people to. The fact that that keeps getting brushed aside means that we we don't have a full understanding of the world that we're living in of of the of the ideas that we're breathing daily, and I think that that is a real shame. And I mean, now I think if you seek it out, you can really you can find out, you know, how like like I was just um I was just watching someone had cut together all of these interviews with Little Richard, and I hadn't thought that I, I don't know that much about Little Richard. I obviously know the music. I didn't realize that he had been discovered by Sister Rosetta Thorpe, who essentially invented rock and roll. You know, she's queer, she's black, she's, and, you know, taking music from church and, and playing it on a stage sort of in a, in a, in a secular way. I mean, she invented that and she discovered him and he is, is clearly a gender expansive person. And you can see over the years in these various interviews, his way of discussing himself even changes. But when you think about the fact that this is, this is, where rock and roll originated from. I mean, I feel like now when we think about what rock and roll is, like we, same with like, you know, Kiss, like shock rock. Shock rock was invented by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And, and he was exploring these really complicated ideas about how he feels about himself and also how he's perceived and turning it into a joke and turning it into a show. I mean, really, really fascinating and amazing stuff. And then, and there's just so much, so much of that gets erased. And then we just don't understand the culture that we live and breathe and engage with. And not just not just to be able to see the world through a non-binary lens, but I think also to be able to look at this world and our history uh, through like anti an anti-racist lens. If you don't do that, then you're just you're sort of sleepwalking through our our reality. Here's Bob the drag queen, followed by Good Trouble star Rhea Butcher and She-Raw creator Noel Stevenson. Well, for me, it's about opening up your mind to living outside of the social construct. You know, there is a there are these lyrics from this song by Mika. It's called Promised Land. I don't know if anyone still knows Mika. Mika was where I, I used to love Mika back in college. Mika had this song, Big Girls, You Are Beautiful. And anyway, the lyrics are, uh, I was. I, it was like I was born in that summer when the sun didn't shine. I was given a name that doesn't feel like it's mine. I lived my life as the good boy I was told I should be, prayed every night to a religion that was chosen for me. And I think about that a lot. And, you know, as I've been able to strip away a lot of my socialization through religion, through sexual identity, through gender identity, gender expression, I've been able to find a happiness and a real resilience that I didn't know I could even achieve. I'm so glad that you brought up imagination too, because I, I've just been sort of contemplating how much imagination is 
especially in America, because I, I am an American person. I also have not traveled a lot, you know, like I just haven't had that experience. So it seems to me that it is pretty American to create compartmentalized imagination to only childhood. And then that is the childish thing that you put away, you know, like the childish thing that I put away is like immaturity, acting out, yelling, screaming, you know, but I'm trying to, to bring those things back. Like it's not childish, it's life-giving, you know, like we are curious. I am not living outside the binary. I am living in the middle of it. You know, like I have a joke that still feels very, even, even in bringing in he pronouns, even feeling into my masculinity, even feeling into my like, perhaps feeling like a trans man, like feeling into those things. I still like, I identify as the and in ladies and gentlemen, because I, I can't, I can't say that I fully reject or, or remove or, you know, even just like dismiss my femininity, you know, like, or, or my experience of femininity or my experience of womanness or that, that like even ancestry, if you will, of like being raised by like a, many women and, and also my experience of people believing I was a woman and living in that experience, you know, like, and I welcome all of that. You know, it's not, I, I'm not outside, you know, I'm not, as much as many people are trying to remove many of us from society, I refuse. <laughs> I, I stick around. I am as much a part of it as anybody else. Um, and I'm not outside of anything. I am right in the middle of it, you know, and I want to stay here and I want to keep being imaginative too, because I think hearing other people's experience as children, having, being policed along gender lines, like we are policed along all these lines and, and, and one of the things that it does come down to, it's, oh, you're, you're killing curiosity, you're killing compassion, you're killing imagination. We engage with the world through a set of pretty rigid, you know, gendered expectations and are expected to fit into sort of gendered boxes that I think also really hurt cis people as well. So the idea that a cis woman who grows facial hair, like that is a point of shame and that is something that needs to be addressed in some way, but to know that women can have facial hair. That is something that sort of like, I think has such a positive overall effect just on the world, on how we see these gendered markers. And so it's something that I've always wanted to, again, it's always been a, a central theme in my work of just being like, having characters break out of those boxes of what we assume gender needs to be. And I really do think that like, if we can expand our thinking of what gender is and how it can be engaged with and how it is fluid and how it is malleable, not only will that make the world a kinder place for trans people to exist and come out and grow and thrive, but it will also create a gentler world, world for cis people as well. My wife, she's gender nonconforming, but she is cis. And our friend group is almost entirely trans people. And we talk about gender a lot. And, you know, she's, she's a butch woman. And, you know, she, she describes it as like her experiences with trans people. It, it helps her claim her own gender fully, even as a cis woman. It makes her more comfortable, uh, with her own gender, especially seeing how our trans feminine friends so joyfully, like, engage with their gender um it makes her like feel more comfortable and more proud as a woman and i think that that's incredible and then also the ways that she engages with her own you know butchness like that is something that i think is so it's inspiring to me gender wise and if we can broaden those horizons it genuinely i i think would help everybody here is writer and advocate jeffrey marsh followed by actor bex taylor Kloss. The non-binary aesthetic, I think it offers, well, I talk sometimes about being a walking metaphor, and I think people can see immediately, immediately, what I was told my whole life is wrong with me. The thing that people hated me deeply for, they can just see it. And they can also see that it's something I love, that I have worked hard, and that I love it, that I celebrate it, that I wear it with pride. And so I hope that people can plug into the thing they were taught is wrong with them and begin to wear that thing as a superpower, as a, as, as something that brings them pride. Yeah. I think that it offers the world a chance to balance 
balance never comes from holding one thing. Balance comes from holding more than one thing and trying to figure out the weight and the balance. The balance. One thing, it can be long, but it still has to be something other than just you in order to have a balancing act that is entertaining and effective. And I think that the non-binary gaze allows us to see the world from angles that some people are limited. You can only see it from one direction, then you're missing all the beauty going on. Like if you can only see it from this direction, you're missing all the beauty around here. And being non-binary feels like a head on a swivel, like, oh, it's over here. Oh, I get to look at this too? Really? I can turn around? I think we live in a world right now structured by artificial dichotomies that actually are more committed to competition and division than they are healing and cohesion. This is artist and writer Alok. And so for me, non-binary is healing because it's the ability to hold multiple truths at the same time. And that's what my understanding of what healing is, is that things don't necessarily have to exist in opposition, they can exist in tandem. And so I bring that sensibility to everything that sometimes it's it's possible to hold both levity and gravity. So funny humor can be a place of processing extreme powerful grief. And to aesthetics, that actually glamour can come from the kind of grit of having to navigate a New York City subway like you own it because everyone hates your guts. That's where fashion begins. And in fact, that's where high fashion begins, right? So I think in non-binary life is a refusal of the distinctions between high culture, low culture, the distinctions between pop culture, fringe culture, and an insistence on the interconnectivity of everything. And that's why it kind of frustrates me that the framing becomes that we are suffering because Hollywood and media are excluding us. Like, yes, obviously, but they're suffering because they continue to regurgitate the most abysmally boring narratives as if it's fresh and original when there could be so much vitality, intention, purpose, and rigor if you actually had people like Travel there, you know? Don't include us just because of the aesthetic sort of rubric of checking off a box of being like, we have these kind of diverse people. Include us because the imagination that we bring, the approach that we have to the world will fundamentally shift any project, not just projects that are related to gender. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more untold stories beyond the binary and my interview with Demi Lovato. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, beautiful people. Throughout the process of putting this podcast together, I've done a lot of thinking about what the future of non-binary visibility might look like. My personal answers run the gamut. I want to see more non-binary characters on TV, played by non-binary actors, and written by non-binary writers. I want more magazine covers and spreads featuring the voices you've heard on this pod. It'd also be cute if we could walk the streets of any city and not fear for our safety. You know, I firmly believe that it is within the imaginations of non-binary and trans people that we will discover how to make real a world that holds and a Affirms us all. I offer this to my council and ask them about their visions for the future. First up is model, writer, and activist Devin Norell. I think for me, the, the utopia would be the the end of gender reveals. I'm so sick of that. Yes, Y'all please. In the world. We 
universally and not not just not just in the U.S. universally would have rights in terms of um, access to healthcare in whatever form that may be. I mean, generally speaking, we should not be banned from healthcare just because we're trans. It kind of just boggles my mind that, like, I just want to know what's going through the minds and thoughts of people that want to prohibit trans people from obtaining healthcare just because they're trans. Because it doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I'm just not a hateful person, but <laughs> it just, I cannot grasp onto that concept at all. Having human rights, people defaulting to names, maybe instead of pronouns, or just defaulting to they, them, in conversation about other people, or just asking people's pronouns and not having so much pushback about it. I honestly think, though, that we we aren't nearing utopia, but we're getting to a point where, you know, where's what's that kind of like breaking point for trans people? And I think that we have started, um, and I think a lot of that started with Title Seven of last year being ruled in favor of us. Holy shit. What? <laughs> you know? But I say that because it's, that is about employment. But you can't say yes to this thing and say no to the next thing. All of that trickle down. Employment, healthcare, housing, and food security, whatever else the hell I'm forgetting. That is huge. Legally, at least in the U.S. But at the same time, it's not utopia because when you look at the civil rights movement for black people in general and think about how in the 60s, all of these laws, Jim Crow was done away with, uh, separate but equal was done away with, and we're still out here dying. You know, like it's not utopia. And so utopia would be these laws being passed, but also enforced, or really us not having to pass any of these laws to begin with, because we all just have a mutual understanding that we're human. And some people's presentation will be different. Some people will realize that their gender is, 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 or, or maybe we just wouldn't have gender at the end of the day. Right? I was going to say, maybe some people would later on realize that their gender is different than that, than they were born. But, but at, when I think, when I'm saying that utopia, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even have to choose a gender. It just, we would just exist, but gender wouldn't exist. Not, not because non-binary people are taking over the world, but a gender as a construct uh, would just go out the window. And yes, so yes, man, maybe men and man and women could exist, but it's not a conversation that we need to have. I don't know. That's the kind of world I would like to live in. And I just think about all the times that I try to, to assert my gender as a child and all the pushback and all the verbal abuse and all the physical abuse I encountered in growing up. And I just think, you know, how easy, how much easier would my life have been if that just didn't need to be a conversation at all. If I came home one day dressed as a butch lesbian and was just like, whatever, you know, and it was no name for it, it was just how I dressed. And then two years later, I was dressed as a butch lesbian in a skirt. <laughs> so what? Oh, wait, but I thought you were a butch lesbian. I am. And here's my skirt. You like it? <laughs> you know, like, who um, but that's, I guess that's my utopia. But I, I, I started this conversation with rights because that's just the world that we live in. And I think that is also important. But I think if gender didn't exist, then we all would have our rights. You know, uh, it would just be default. Here is star of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Lachlan Watson discussing being non-binary in Hollywood, followed by Bob the Drag Queen. I think ultimately it'll be about breaking down the idea that we are a risk. I'm tired of being told that casting me is too risky. Like, I'm just tired of it. Because from my perspective, specifically in Hollywood, but kind of everywhere too, non-binary people are the future. That in a big way, especially in Hollywood, we can do more than everyone else. We can quite literally do double the amount of roles as everybody else. So how is this not better? Like I can say, I can, I can mask it up. Like give me five minutes <laughs> and I can do whatever you want as a director, as a casting director. I can shave my head. I can put on sh shoes that are two sizes too big for me. I can do that for you. Like we are no different. And if anything, we are better equipped at the job to be able to access the, those nuances that no one else can really tap into or should tap into. And I think that'll be the ultimate thing is to, to showcase that we aren't a risk. If anything, we make productions better. Like trans people make things better, bringing our creativity and bringing our our knowledge and our, our nuances to, especially to the stage and to film, couldn't possibly be a bad thing. And 
I think that's something that we're still getting past right now where it's seen as like, well, I guess we'll throw in like one, you know, to appease social media, to appease them. So we don't get canceled. But ultimately, I think there's going to be a switch that gets flipped where these people start realizing, oh, they've got the good. Oh, they're oh, that's great. We want that. And I think that'll be really, really exciting. And then I think in doing that, we'll break down the sort of idea that like there can only be one. Like I, I know I've dealt with a lot of like competition and, and kind of like infighting with, with queer communities because because of society, because of Hollywood, we've been told that like there's only room for one. And so I've, I've had to deal with a lot of spaces surrounded in oppression that there's this internalized like well, I have to be the best trans person. And like, I'm, oh, but that person came out as non-binary. Oh no, that means there'll be less roles for me. And that's such a weird thing to navigate as an actor. And that's such a weird space to, to navigate because ultimately there is so much room for everybody. If there's room for like 17 Chris's in Marvel Studios, <laughs> then there's room for like three non-binary people. Like it would not be hard. I think that it is degendering the Oscars. I think it is gender neutralizing public spaces. I think that it is not questioning a little boy when he wants a Barbie doll. And him not feeling weird about asking for it, that all seems pretty on point to me. And here is Alok, followed by Jacob Tobiah and Rebecca Sugar. What has always attracted me to media is leaving evidence of saying, like, there were people like me that existed because I think so many of us grew up thinking that there weren't. And it's not that they weren't, it's that they've been disappeared or separated from the archive and we have to search and hunger for them. And so what I think has been more generative for me is actually thinking, how am I leaving evidence? And that leaving of evidence doesn't have to be about like a new TV show. That could be it. But I want us to have a more expansive idea of evidence that's about like me walking down the street as myself is leaving evidence because it's the creation of memory and everyone else's perspective of, oh, people like that don't exist here, you're wrong, I'm right here. Um, and so I think that what I really am most committed to is the form of politics of everyday existence. And I think that comes from our experiences of struggle as gender non-conforming people is that going outside is already a politically vexed assertion. In a binary world, people are going to punish us for having the audacity to exist, right? So we're still at square one. It's not even like exist while doing something, it's exists, period. And so what I really want us to do is to be able to support those as everyday acts of visibility, representation, media, power. What would happen if we stand our friends who are exploring their gender in public as much as we did the latest Hollywood icon, right? Because I think that what's concerning to me right now is so much of the logics of trans life are governed by spectacle. So people only look up and they never look across. And what that's enabled is for people to say things like trans is new, even though their neighbor's trans. <laughs> what that's allowed them to do is to be like, I love insert TV shows, superstars, and then misgender their own family members. And I, I really just love re reframing the paradigm to be like non-binary gender variant people are genius media cultural workers makers because they've made their life and that's the ultimate act of culture in a world that has dispossessed them of history, of language, of family, of structure. We did it. And then let's begin from that creative act. So rather than trying to get non-binary and gender variant people to manipulate our forms of media and existence into pre-existent templates, meet us at our own templates. And that's why I, I think, I mean, TikTok has been just amazing to watch so many Gen Z folks play around with fashion, style, beauty, gender, media, music, without waiting for institutional gatekeepers. Um, I think the social media generation is, is really showing that you don't have to do that kind of work. But I, I guess one worry I have is the question of labor. And I think this is something where that distinction between Hollywood and not is really important. Because people are making this media not getting compensated for it, whereas in those formal institutions, they're getting compensated for it. 
So I don't want to be here out here romanticizing this kind of like underground alternative GNC media production when these people deserve big budgets. So I think that what I'm looking for is a kind of reimagining of also funding structures so that people don't have to like, um, like make it really big on social media, prepackage a show, like get in that way. But actually people are investing in talent that's organic and right there and already doing it, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it also makes me think about the ways in which, you know, those of us who are just just living and being particularly on social media, the ways in which I've heard people in the industry use our social media to inform their storytelling, right? right? So like us being ourselves becomes the point, becomes their research, you know, if you will, uh, in terms of how they figure out their character, you know, um, on screen, which is always so interesting because you could have just, you could just hire me to consult, you know, you don't got to go to the non-binary hashtag on Instagram to figure <laughs> out, you know, how this all works. That's no shade to any one particular person who said it to me in an interview. But I think that, that that's a bigger point around like, you could have just hired me. It's like, it's so easy. I guess like they make what is so easy seem so complicated. They're like, well, what, like, what do we do? And I'm like, literally, I know like on the top of my, like hundreds of people who could fundamentally change this, what's the disconnect? And then the disconnect is just truly transphobia. That's what it, it really, it's not, it's not about us. It's never been about what we look like. It's never been about us not producing the right kind of media, not pitching ourselves well enough. It's always been about, they look at us and they're like, mm, that's not going to sell. And what's so irritating to me in my career, I've been told this a zillion times, speaking of like passive, but actually aggressive things people say to us, people say to me, well, if you just shaved or if you just started taking hormones or like people who don't know anything about me who are consulting me in my career, well, you're just too complicated. I don't really think America is ready for what you're saying. It's just, could you just tone it down? So you're, you know, you're both like, so the narrative becomes, you must modify and edit yourself into my preexistent template and framework in order to be successful. And I think the paradigm shift that I'm sort of speaking to is, it's not the onus should not be on me to edit my life. The onus should be on you to edit your algorithm. And that's the only way we're going to have meaningful transformation when it comes to non-binary gender conforming people, because otherwise, we're going to have a situation that we kind of have right now, which is the kind of non-binary talent that will make it is gender conforming. And people who are visibly gender non-conforming, I'm talking about chest hair billowing out of dresses. I'm talking about people who are fat, people who are dark skin, people with disabilities, those people aren't seen as non-binary representation because it's seen as too much. And that idea of being told too much is an old school version of Hollywood and media culture I want to get away with to actually be like, it's not that those folks are too much, it's that you're too unambitious. Shift that paradigm, reimagine media that actually people gravitate and are magnetized to authenticity and we're not selling an aspirational escapist lifestyle. We're selling you what is, you know? I think media should reflect what is, not posture itself as this kind of dream escape. I think about, um, not to get like too personal or too deep, but my dad passed away a month ago and he was really, really sick. And I was caregiving for like, I've been back in North Carolina caregiving. That's part of why I've been in North Carolina instead of LA for, for months and months and months and months. And I just, there was a moment where I sat and I thought about like, no one would ever think to have a non-binary person at a funeral, ever. Mm. No one would ever think to mm. have a non-binary person losing their parent to a terrible disease. No one would ever think to have a non-binary person, like, helping to, like, I mean, he was in hospice for a while, right? Like, helping to keep their dad's mouth wet when he can't drink water anymore, right? Like, people don't think about us as real people, in that way. And I think something about losing him has really brought that home to me. Like, I'm a real person, you know, like, I deal with things that are just deeply, deeply fundamentally human, and are so beyond and above my gender. And I don't get the chance to show that to the world. And we don't get the chance to be shown in that way. And I don't think that's acceptable. 
And I think that that is really dehumanizing and that we deserve better in that specific of a way. And I also just hope too that the future of non-binary visibility looks like me having my own production company that's really going well, where I'm like, you know, so powerful, it's pro- I'd pro- probably become a problem, right? Like, because that's how Hollywood goes. You know, people become, they get so much control that then they get like detached and stop making quality stuff. Um, like, I hope that like I get to, to that position, but that it's not just me, right? That there's like mm-hmm. seven other trans folks who have their empires or whatever of like content who are all like cattily competing against each other, but also secretly all just buddies behind. Them. You know what I mean? Like, I want, yes. I want to make it in that way, but I don't want to make it that way alone. I want us to ascend together. I want companionship and I want multiple people. Like we need to have multiple trans executives at multiple networks buying vying for the same show. We need to have multiple trans creators trying to approach multiple like trans actors for their for their projects, right? You can't book your one trans actor that you really want to book because that other non-binary creator books them for their cool thing, right? Like we need that kind of overlap and competition in the same way that cis people have in Hollywood all the time. Like I want that. And I want us to support each other in the way that like that that we can, right? I look to Black Hollywood as as a real example of like, yeah, I mean everything's not not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but I feel like I feel like Black Hollywood really shows up for each other in a really amazing yeah. way. And I see it all the time. And I, and I want I want that level of companionship and community support and showing up for one another, you know? And we're getting there. We're getting there. I think what would be amazing would, would be to expand this visibility into the future, but also extend it into the past. I really think that would be the really transformative step to take. And I think also raising awareness of... of exactly who and why, um, who suppressed these ideas and why they were suppressed. You know, you can find these absolutely incredible sort of zines, like queer zines uh, from like Berlin, right before the Second World War. There's just like this incredible flourishing culture. Uh, uh, We did some, we made some references in the show to uh, Le Monocle with like Zircon, because Le Monocle used to be a, a iconic lesbian fashion statement in France, you know, the, like all of that stuff is so fascinating. And then, but what it, what it tells you is these things, you know, they, they flourish and they blossom and then they're destroyed and then they flourish again and they blossom and they're destroyed. I think, um, you know, it, we need to flourish and, and blossom and also protect our, our current version of that by raising awareness about all the versions of that that happened in the past um, that were ultimately suppressed. Because I think because of that erasure, there may be there is a sense that this is new. There's a, there's maybe a false sense of security that, you know, that, that couldn't happen again. And, and, but I see all the ways that, that it can, you know, I, I feel very disturbed and aware of the anti-trans legislation, you know, which, which is really, I, I also, um, I'm very lucky that the show really took off in Brazil and I got to visit, this was, you know, before quarantine. And I think similarly, like there in, in popular culture, there's a lot of trans visibility. There's a lot of queer visibility. But then, um, in terms of policy, in terms of safety of people, it's really dangerous. And and I think that you know that's true here too. That's been part of my experience as a non-binary person. You know, I've, I've experienced it: violence, psychological violence, physical violence. You know. So I think, yeah, I, I think the future uh, can and will be about increasing awareness. I, I think there's so much we need to continue to be aware of, and and also it's so. It, it's. I feel like it's so fulfilling to just get a greater understanding of reality, especially now. There's there's uh, so many things that are designed to distract us from what's actually going on and what's actually going on in people's lives, what people actually think and who they actually are. And I hope with increased uh, non-binary visibility that the the incredible range of people and personality will come into focus. I think that's that's been a thing I've seen over the years, you know, early on when I would do talks about this, people would want to know what it was as if it was only a single thing. And now I think there's a greater understanding that and and I it's I sort of brace myself before these I'm so I was so glad when you the first thing you said is oh there's so much <laughs> there's so much language there's so many different you know versions of this which over the years is something I've had to sort of uh gingerly ex- explain uh, when people want to know, I had this one interview with someone who asked me sort of, when will people understand what it is to be non-binary? 
And I had no idea how to answer that. And then when I was done with the interview, I, I thought about it and I said, oh, you know, this is really the problem because people understand it now. We understand it now. And, and in order to say like people don't understand it, you're basically not including non-binary people as people. And that's the core of the problem. And that's the thing that I see really changing, which is, which is very, very, very exciting because People understand it now. People understood it then. People will understand it in the future. And, and the, the language will evolve and the language has changed over time. And I'm really excited that that, that that will continue to be and hopeful that that will continue to be true. As I mentioned in episode one, a couple weeks before we dropped this podcast, pop star Demi Lovato shared with the world that they too are non-binary. It was done on the first episode of their new podcast, 4D with Demi Lovato, in conversation with our collective fave, Alok. I had the honor of having my own chat with Demi about their journey to self. So here's a little Untold Stories Beyond the Binary exclusive. Alrighty. Demi, thank you so much again for joining us on Untold Stories Beyond the Binary podcast, all about non-binary visibility. And I have to say, when we were, we were producing our very first episode a couple weeks ago, and that's when you dropped your news for the world. So that's kind of where I want to start. I'd love to know just like how it felt or, and, and how it feels in this moment to be non-binary and to be able to like say that publicly to the world. You know, it's been um, it's been really freeing and liberating. And it's been something that I have kind of been holding on to for about a year, a, a year and a half, and just wanting to really learn more, make sure that it felt right with me before I shared it with the world. And, you know, once I once I found that courage to be open with everyone. It's been an interesting journey. You know, it's, it feels like I said, really liberating and I just feel more like myself. So I feel great. On your podcast, the first episode of your podcast, um, you spoke with Alok, who's also been part of this show about kind of coming into finding like non-binary as a term and then how it resonated with you. I'd love to hear you describe that moment of when you first discovered non-binary to be the the right language for you. How did that come about? Yes. So when I was in the studio working with Sam Smith on a song that we had together called I'm Ready, we were talking and they had just come out as non-binary. And so I was talking to them about that and asking questions, learning a little bit. And they said, you know, why don't you come to this poetry show where my friend is speaking and uh, they will, you know, they basically they'll inform you on what it is and you'll get an insight into their experience. And I was like, cool, I'm, I'm totally down. So we ended up going to this poetry show and Oh my gosh, it just resonated so much with me that I was laughing, I was tearing up, like it it just was an emotional roller coaster ride and it was because it resonated so much with me and when I went up to Alok after the show, I remember saying to them, does being non-binary just mean that you are healed? And to to them they said, "Yes, oh my gosh, you get it." Now, to somebody that isn't non-binary, or you know, I'm not saying that you, if you aren't non-binary, you're not healed. But basically, what I meant for me and my personal journey, I have so much trauma around gender identification, you know, stereotypes being placed on me, gender norms, all of that, like growing up. And so, in that moment, I felt like oh, all of my traumas, all of my fears, they're healed and I can just fully accept who I am. And they said, oh, you get it. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. I realized that was just the beginning. I'm I'm just now, um, I, you know, I, I waited my whole life to kind of figure this out about myself, but it's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that resonates so much with me because I feel like as non-binary people, when we are able to accept ourselves in the complexity, right, that is our identities, it allows us to free, to be free from various other people's expectations and it allows us to 
at least for me in my experience, access a sort of a sort of freedom and a sort of joy that I did not know existed before. I'd love to hear from you, like what gives you the most joy as you are going through, you know, your lived experience as a non-binary person. What gives me the most joy is having the fluidity and the freedom to decide every day what I want to wear and what I how I want to present myself to the world. Some days I'm feeling more feminine. Some days I'm feeling more masculine. And, you know, unlike when I was identifying as female before, I felt like that kind of boxed me into how I how I acted to how I, you know, not only just how I dressed, but even certain ways that I would take on the female role in relationships. You know, now it's like, I've shed all of that. And I get to wake up at the beginning of the day and decide, what do I want to present myself as today? And that's been the freedom and the most fun thing about this journey for me is that I've realized fluidity for me is something that is going, that is just here to stay. I have to ask, did you have any like nervousness or any trepidation about, you know, um, you know, coming, I hate the term coming out, but coming out to the world as, as a non-binary person shifting and changing your pronouns? That's why I say it's been an interesting journey. When I was getting ready to make this announcement, I was really, really excited and just like, just wanting to share my truth with the world. And I had some people around me say, hey, you know, this may not be received that well, because it's still a new term, people are still trying to understand it. And, um, and I thought, yeah, whatever. And then I realized that (laughs) it actually takes more of a toll on, it took more of a toll on me than I thought it would. Because I'm so, I I don't care what other people think. I thought that it wouldn't bother me, but there is something inside of you where you realize whether it's family members, distant family members, obviously not immediate family, but that's not obvious for a lot of people. But for me, um, you know, distant family members or certain friends or whatever, just not being supportive or making fun of you or kind of like even to a certain degree, some people have kind of just not wanted to acknowledge that I'm a part of their family anymore. And that kind of is, that's really hurtful. And I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. And once it did, I was just kind of like, oh, this is, this is the not fun part of finding yourself. And it's okay. Because the people that are in my life and accept me for who I am today those are the people I want to surround myself with, not the ones that are who aren't going to accept me unless I fit into a binary that they are used to so that they can comprehend me. That's not who I am anymore. I remember when I first came out, uh, <laughs> it was a lot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think what I'm hearing from you is that, that that freedom and that security and that joy and that community that is on the other side um, does make kind of those less savory parts of coming out a little bit more tolerable, right? While we shed some people, some family members, some friends, we gain, you know, a whole community, um, I feel at least. I've, I've loved that about my own personal experience. I wanted to ask, you know, what made you decide to, one, do a podcast, and then two, have your very first episode be this declaration? Yes. Well, I wanted to continue the conversations I was having with friends, colleagues, co- whatever it was, you know, I, I wanted to, I showed in my documentary how much I had learned from working on myself. And I thought, what better way to continue that process than to start a podcast where I'm having conversations with people that are meaningful, that people can learn from. So I, I started the podcast and I just knew that my first episode of the podcast, I knew that I wanted it to be about this because I don't know, I had a date in mind that I wanted to say, I wanted to announce this. And so I just kind of made it work with that date and and it all worked out. My last question for you is, you know, 
I kind of just want to know what you feel like you are learning about, you know, how freeing yourself from others' expectations benefits you on a personal level, as well as like how you interact with with society at large. What have you been learning throughout this process of unfolding to the world? I think that what I've learned through this process is you just have to find out what works for you and not worry about what other people think, even if they are distant family members, you know, because it's like, at the end of the day, you're not living your life for anybody but yourself, or you shouldn't be living your life for anybody but yourself. And it's about finding the truth that works best for you in this life. And I don't know, allowing yourself to live being you. So that's, that's, I guess, what I've learned is that I guess I already knew not to care what people thought, but it just took it to another level. Yeah, definitely. I love that. So anything else I didn't ask you that you want to say about your non-binary fabulous self? Oh, you are so sweet. Thank you. Um, No, I just, I do want to say thank you to the people that have been supported because the support means so incredibly much to me and even getting to notice my fans or friends or coworkers starting to use my new pronouns has been like really meaningful and special to me. So um, just, I guess the last thing I would say is just a big thank you. I love that. Well, thank you for joining us, Demi. I really appreciate it. Wishing you all fabulous non-binary success and all of that other stuff that people are thank supposed you. to say. Yeah, no you too. Happy Pride. <laughs> And there it is, beautiful people. We've come to the end of Untold Stories Beyond the Binary. If you haven't yet checked out our video companion series, make sure you hit up Entertainment Weekly's YouTube page. And for all your Pride content needs, head to EW.com slash Pride. Make sure you're following them on social media, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly on Instagram. And before I leave you, I've got to give a shout out to the people who helped this beauty of a pod and video series come to life. Producer Carly Usden, audio editor and mixer Sammy Junio, and video editor Aubrey Bernier-Clark, an entire team of non-binary badasses. And of course, there's me, your host and producer, Travel Anderson. Keep up with my work on social media, at Travel Anderson on Twitter, at Rayjean on Instagram, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. Keep it fabulous, and as always, slay on.